0: having upwards of $1,000 on him at any given time. Maybe it came from his experiences in the Great Depression, but he believed that a man should always have cash. When my three brothers and I were young, he would insist that we never leave the house with less than $5. We weren't supposed to spend the money. In fact, there was a full accounting of what we spent every night, but we had to carry it. A man's got to have cash, he would say. You'll never know when you'll need it. This day, my father tossed the money clip to the ground with a quick flick of the wrist. Then he pulled a five iron out of his golf bag, took a couple of practice swings, and began the same pre-shot ritual I had watched my entire life. I'd seen it millions of times on the range, thousands of times during rounds where I either followed him or carried his golf bag, and during dozens of professional tournaments where I had walked side by side with my father as he competed against the likes of Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson and Sam Sneed. The routine never varied. From a spot behind the ball, he took the club in his left hand and then in his right. His hands were unique, thick and leathery, with so many calluses they felt like the scratchy, weathered masts of a giant sailing ship. Like most pros of his generation, Dad had built his own game from scratch, finding the fundamentals in countless trials and failures that showed in each crease on his palms. I had felt those hands many times as they held me when I was young and when they hugged me days and nights well into adulthood. My father never shied away from physical affection with his sons, and we never thought twice about hugging and kissing him every day of his life. When placed on a golf club, however, the rough-hewn hands took on a softer, more artistic flair. Dad gripped a club the way Miles Davis held a muted horn, like an appendage, no different from a third arm. It was part of him. His eyes were his second most indelible feature. Caribbean hazel and intense. All the Harmon boys could read his feelings by looking there. When he gripped the club, those eyes focused on the position of his hands as if he were a surgeon performing a risky procedure. Because of joint problems he'd had since childhood, my dad wrapped his left thumb around the grip rather than running it straight down the shaft, as is customary. As a result, his left-hand grip looked more like Ted Williams holding a baseball bat than Ben Hogan gripping a golf club. I never saw him teach that grip to anyone else, but it worked for him for half a century. I'm still convinced he could have hit a five-iron blindfolded in his sleep at midnight, and nothing would have been different. It came so naturally to him. But that didn't stop him from concentrating on his hands as they wrapped around the grip of the club. Then he put the club head behind the ball before placing his right foot and then his left in position. Two waggles of the club, and then his eyes moved slowly between the ball and the line of his intended shot. Usually he was ready to swing, but this time he hesitated. Without taking his eyes off the target, he said, ''Do you see those flags?'' I looked down the range, and along with my brothers acknowledged the row of flags. If I hit one shot left of those flags, you boys can split everything in that money clip. With that, he swung the club, and the ball flew from the ground with a crisp click. It sailed up into the deep blue sky on a perfect line and a perfect trajectory, over the first flag, then the second, until it reached its apex. Then it drifted ever so slightly, falling five yards right of the third flag in the line. A few seconds later... Another shot flew on exactly the same path, then a third, then a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. At the time, I didn't fully see the pearl my father had passed along to me that afternoon. But the one thing I knew for certain was that we Harmon brothers were more likely to be abducted by aliens than get a dime of the money in that clip. I questioned my father about a lot of things when I was young. But the one aspect of his life I knew better than to underestimate was his ability to hit one perfect golf shot after another. None of those balls was going left of the flags, and every one of us knew it. Claude Harmon, my father, had the kind of natural golf talent that made him a prodigy. At age 13, he shot 63 at Dub's Dread in Orlando in an exhibition with two of the game's greats, Walter Hagen and Gene Sarazen. He qualified for the U.S. Amateur at 14, and in the 1940s, after turning pro, he won the Miami Four Ball, the Havana Open twice, the Westchester Open three times, the National Championship of Club Professionals, and the Met PGA. He finished in the top five in nine major championships, made it to the semifinals of the PGA Championship three times—the event was match play at the time—and finished third in the 1959 U.S. Open the highest finish in the National Open by a golf pro in the modern era. And also, in 1948, when I was four years old, my father produced his best-ever performance, shooting a tournament record nine under par at Augusta National to win the Masters Tournament by five shots. Dad was the last club pro to ever win a major, the final member of an extinct breed, the working man's champion, the playing club pro. He came into the business at a time when there were barely 3,000 golf courses in America, mostly consisting of one tractor operations and one stoplight towns where no pro was needed. Today there are more than 16,000 golf facilities and more than 60,000 men and women who call themselves golf professionals. Unfortunately, My father closed the door on the golden age of golf pros, an age that dated back to old Tom Morris, who ran a shop in St. Andrews in Scotland and taught the game to the nobility of the day when he wasn't winning championships. What Tom Morris started, Dad finished. He was the last club pro to compete regularly in all three major championships contested on U.S. soil, and he was the last to become world-renowned for both his teaching and his playing ability. I would argue that Dad was the greatest teacher the game has ever seen. For sure, he was the greatest father a man could ever have. Dad possessed a unique skill set, one that is hard to find in the modern-day golf pro. Today, most major championship-caliber players lack the giving skills necessary to be good teachers. Not that they are selfish people. The vast majority are not. But to be a great player, you have to be a little insular and egotistical, Being a great teacher not only requires empathy, it also takes someone who wants nothing more out of life than the satisfaction that comes from helping others. My father possessed both. He could take an average golfer to the lesson tee, and within five or ten minutes the student would be making better swings and hitting more solid golf shots. Later that afternoon, he might take Sam Snead, Tommy Armour, or Johnny Revolta out onto the west course at winged foot and close them out on a $50 match before the 16th tee. Dad could make any student play better if he was willing to listen. Fortunately, his playing record and reputation as a teacher left him no shortage of those. Dad taught golf to kings and presidents and captains of industry, as well as to past and future tour players and major championship winners. In the process, he revolutionized teaching, using such technology as 8 millimeter film projection. He is the only teaching pro ever to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, not because of his playing prowess, but because of his unique ability to communicate the fundamentals of the golf swing. He was one of the first to use a weighted golf club as a training aid. He had a driver with so much lead in the head that the thing must have weighed 9 pounds. Years before you could order swing connection devices through toll-free numbers off late night infomercials, Dad was taking the belt off his trousers and wrapping it around the upper arms and torsos of students who needed to tighten their swings. He did this for good players, bad players, rich and poor. He did it to make people better. He did it because he cared. He taught Presidents Eisenhower, Kennedy, Nixon and Ford. He was the personal instructor to King Hassan II of Morocco. He taught Henry Ford, the Duke of Windsor, Bob Hope, Randolph Scott, Howard Hughes, Bing Crosby, Lana Turner, and Johnny Carson. He also offered advice freely and openly to his fellow competitors. During a U.S. Open practice round, Dad and Mr. Hogan were playing with U.S. Open champion Dr. Kerry Middlecoff. When Kerry failed to get out of his third bunker in a row, Dad turned to Mr. Hogan and said, Ben, I've got to help Doc with his bunker play. He's the worst I've ever seen. To which Mr. Hogan said, Leave him alone, Claude. If we're lucky, he'll never learn. Dad gave Middlecoff the lesson anyway. He coached and trained 44 assistant professionals, including Jackie Burke, who won 16 tour events, two majors and captained a Ryder Cup team, Mike Suchak, who won 16 times and held the professional 72 hole scoring record on tour for 40 years before one of my students, Mark Kalkovecchia, broke it in 2001. Dick Mayer, who was Wingfoot's first junior member and learned the game exclusively from my father before going on to win the 1957 U.S. Open and World Golf Championship. Dave Marr, winner of the